Well, hello and welcome to Inexos Access All Areas. My name is B, and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Inexos nerd, Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums, and oh, so much more. Hello, welcome to Excess Access All Areas, episode 102, where we dive deep on all things in excess about this great band with my comrade B, as we dive deep into the legacy, get them into the Rock Wall of Fame and have fun with a community of like-minded people. B, how are you? I am good. Thank you very much, Hayden. You're a little bit unrecognisable today. Well, yes, mm. the the uh, it was bigger than Ben Hur, but yes, the, it was the, the, getting a little bit. The, the mullet or the <laughs> ponytail has been stripped off, and it is mm. uh, filling the heads of forty-two lonely bald men around <laughs> Australia. Okay, it's there's a, there's a big a bit of a, a mop chop has been allocated to charity. B. Yeah, well, you look so much better for it. You look lovely, mate. You look okay. um, about ten years younger. You look about 50 now. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> You've just said that for the last two years I've looked like a, uh, you know, a, a Mr. Snuffleupagus from Sesame Street. <laughs> Probably did. It was a COVID hairstyle, ill haircut, and as in no haircut. But yeah, I feel a bit more lightheaded. Yeah. No, you look great. You look very smart, mate. Very smart. Love about haircuts. <laughs> Enough about haircuts. So I'm going to get out of the. I'm going to get out of the blocks here and say, "How's your excess week been, B? Let's get out the important question out early. Sadly, we lost Chris Bailey. So there's been lots of um, messages about how much he's been lost by the. Uh, Australian music community, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. He was, um, he, he was loved very much by his peers and the boys loved him, in excess loved him, so did Michael. I mean, he was even invited over to the villa that Michael had in France and there's a gorgeous picture of him with Kylie there. So that was a very sad loss um, only a few days ago to us, probably about a week now out with the podcast. Well, I was driving to work and I got a uh, messenger from you saying, oh, can you write us something about Chris Bailey? I'm going... Uh, because sometimes, you know, we, we send messages to each other. We don't know what tangent we're coming from. Like, mm-hmm. What the hell has Chris Bailey got to do with Monday morning, me going to work and writing something out? You didn't know. No, I didn't know. Then I was sort of looking into things and then, oh, hang on, he's passed away. But we will um, dive a little bit deeper throughout the show about Chris and his legacy to Australian music. And, and it's just his friendship with Michael, which... I think from, I remember reading, it really superseded music. In fact, you know, I don't think uh, Chris was a big NXS fan and, uh, you know, Michael was a fan of all music, but uh, I think the, the expression was, we don't talk about music, we're just great mates. Mm. And uh, I, th- I think through Australian Made and through that sort of early incarnation of that tour, yeah. um, they really became great friends. And you saw, I think, Chris up on stage mm. uh, representing the Saints and that singing Good Times yeah. as the big sort of uh, send-off song for that mm-hmm. uh, tour festival, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's lots of photos of that from Bob King actually that are going out there black and white photographs so um, if you go onto the Facebook page we've got them on there well I reckon they're sharing a dart and a beer up in the sky yeah you lovely know. Yeah. Let's talk about ourselves and Curtis. Well, I want to um, give B a bit of credit here. B has decided to come up with our own version of Live Baby Live uh, in excess access, hilarious style. 
Uh, our budget is considerably less than, <laughs> than Wembley, mm-hmm. but uh, if you haven't been living under a rock, we are doing our second year anniversary uh, podcast slash trip to Sydney, uh, where B has done a, a leviathan of work plus the team behind the scenes to have a bus tour where we're going to go around to in excess landmarks as a uh, second birthday. And B has, uh, through her own research and dedication, organised a gentleman called Curtis to film the experience for those who can't get along and for the patron money that we've put a little bit of cash away. Mm-hmm. Uh, not enough, though, B. <laughs> we're going to have to go to our own bank oh, accounts. No. But <laughs> we thought we would like to document this and uh, spend every dollar we got in, mm-hmm. in the patron account plus uh, our own dollars to film this uh, particular bus tour uh, video. Yeah. So that's a bit of a snapshot, isn't it, B? So I want to say thank you for getting that set up. Yeah, I got a local uh, local boy from Manly mm-hmm. in, in Sydney. So I'm quite looking forward to meeting him next weekend and talking about what we want. We, yeah, I would like it to be sort of representing a little bit of that um, on the bus to Wembley sort of feel. So um, <laughs> hopefully we can yeah. sort of replicate that. But I know that everyone's very excited. Hello to everybody who is coming on the bus tour and thank you very much for um contributing towards the bus and you will be getting loads of goodies so many goodies important, coming your way important question b you mm. know me uh, what what date is it again 7th of may <laughs> even though we, the 7th, yeah okay. so 8th of may uh. is our birthday but we're going to do it on the saturday 7th of may Okay, all right. I better buy my airline ticket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you better. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. Now, a couple of little things. Recapping the last two weeks, we were very fortunate to have Darren Jones on, who uh, gave up his time for uh, the double episode regarding his involvement within excess and things. And thanks to the listeners who you know got a bit out of that. And we like to think that Darren will be an ongoing sort of feature person mm-hmm. uh, to this podcast series because. I think particularly as we're, you know, entering 1993 today, uh, pardon me, 1993 today, in about 10 years' time when it comes to 2003, it's right in the wheelhouse, you know, where Darren was involved, you know, either a couple of years before and a few years after. And we would love to, you know, have a time and a place you know, deeper dive on, on that period as well, uh, B. So uh, I think it was great having him on. Yeah, I got lots of feedback from um, Lisa Mack, really enjoyed it. She, uh, she, yeah. she she came back with some lovely things about um, Darren. But, yeah, he was a likeable guy. I can understand why they uh, they all get on and still do, and the fact that, you yeah. know, they're still talking about the football together as well. But, yeah, Darren's great. He really is, and he'll be on the bus tour, so I can't wait to actually meet him. Oh, awesome. Yes. Awesome. Well, uh, I guess uh, relating to the bus tour, B, we have a bunch of patrons who have been great. We had a couple of new patrons join a week or two ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'd like to welcome the patrons aboard, and we do need a few more support uh, patrons to help (laughs) help fund our video, B. (laughs) Uh, So uh, over to you to welcome them uh, to the podcast. I'd like to say hello to everybody outside on the highway. Let's all say hello to everybody outside. It's about 10,000 people at least. Hello. Well, this has taken me about 10 times to say this time around. I don't know what's wrong with me. Okay, I get it together. Oh, here we go. I'd like to say hello to our honorary members, Nick Egan, Mark Opitz, Cameron Adams and Mary Woods and not forgetting Darren Jones. Hello. We also have our patrons, Sue D, Joe Robbins, happy birthday, my darling, Carmen, big hug, and Laurie, Carrie-Anne, Danielle, Sarah Markham, Sarah Camier, Dr. Jim, Katie, Lisa Mack, Lisa Calloway, Anne-Marie, Susan P, Susan B, Foxy, 
Pedro, Mandy, Matt, Linda, Yvonne, Caroline, Amanda H, Amanda V, Leon, David, Tracy, Paul Jolie, Paul Boozy, Paul Bridges, Paul Buckley. Happy birthday to you as well, honey. Sandrine, Ella, Ryder, Tony, Erica, Abigail, Martin, Stefan, Val, Jim, Matey, Kelly, John, Jackie, Sean, Sheila, Shannon, Helen, Brett, Suzanne, Glenn, Laurel, Bard, Genevieve, Shelby, Manny, Laurie, Jill, Yowie, Laos, Lily, Jamie, Heidi, Paula, Linda, Angie, Michael, Nancy, Juliet, Jenny, and Scott. Welcome to the podcast. All right, B. Well, uh, I love these episodes. All about the music. We're going to be reviewing Full Moon Dirty Hearts today. We're in a 1993, and we're going to do a deep dive into the album. And as we often do with a, an album review, it's actually a bit of a, a backdrop of where the band were at at the time, who produced, uh, what was the uh, position where the band were coming from with the album. Uh, we talk about the artistic merit, uh, the commerciality of the release, uh, our favourite songs, and uh, we really sort of get nitty-gritty, don't we, B? Yeah, we do. Hayden, you look so handsome with your hair like that. Oh, wow, thank you. You really <laughs> do. Can you believe we're actually doing this um, full moon, Dirty Hearts, when it is the full moon? Well, someone sent that. It was yeah, might be Laurie overnight. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to be cheeky and say, oh, is there the same full moon in Canada? Sorry, not Canada, in Chicago as there is in Australia. I have no idea on that. <laughs> but uh, I, I, would, I would love to think we were that sort of uh, well, uh, connecting of the two incidents, but, uh, incidences, but we, we weren't that clever, will we be? No. <laughs> no. So we, as we said, we've given you a little bit of a sneak peek to hang around after the news for our full moon Dirty Hearts deep dive, and we hope you enjoy it. But B, what's the time for? It's time for the news. This is Manny from the UK, and here is the news. All right, B. Well, I come with uh, salutations and greetings for the news here, uh, and particularly the charts. We have a surge, B, uh, going in the right direction in the charts. The very best off, as, uh, as we said last week, it stuck back into number 49, but uh, through good cheer and good promotion and good uh, customer purchases out there, it's gone from 49 to 41 in the last week. So uh, maybe it's a little Easter nugget uh, for people who don't like chocolate, B. Didn't it? Actually, there was a big review about it because it's hit the 500 weeks or something. And then in excess. In excess. (laughs) (laughs) In excess of 100 shows. And I've never said that before, have I? No. I think you've dropped another word. So, um, yeah, in excess.com have released some T-shirts to celebrate that. Well, yes, you are reading ahead of my news oh, very I'm accurately. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. But uh, look, I, I guess a couple of things. There was a good Rolling Stone article uh, about 35 years uh, since Kick. There was a good Elegantly Wasted article, 25-year anniversary, and you can Google search those. And then there was a fantastic very best of 500 weeks in the top 100 that was given a great deep dive in Billboard, and one of our patrons shared that with us and got us onto that. And uh, I think it also highlighted some T-shirt promotions, as you alluded to. Mm-hmm. But the write-up in Billboard was particularly significant because, you know, it's probably the musical Bible, uh, especially in America. I guess all of that sort of stuff there 
creates uh, brand awareness as well as band awareness and maybe contributed to some sales beat. I hope so. Now, in terms of a couple of gigs coming up, uh, I have mentioned previously, and it's not too far away, we've got the uh, Port Douglas May 21st, which is the in excess, uh, sorry, the Australian in excess show mm-hmm. at Rex Mill Park. Uh, a few people asked and corresponded uh, about where and how, and I said it's uh, it's at that venue, but it's uh, I think it's $43.40, but it's a pretty big setup there, so I think people will enjoy that. Yeah. The Don't Change guys, which I think you're seeing later in the month, B, is that right, in April 22nd? That's right. Sound right to you? Yeah. Uh, where are they playing for you? The DYRSL. The DYRSL. The there you go, everybody. The, <laughs> the DYRSL. Okay. Uh, but they're also uh, one of their uh, gigs from uh, October last year when sort of COVID reappeared in its ugly form uh, is actually being played at the Coolangatta uh, Hotel on May the 7th. Uh, so that's a, a rescheduled gig. So I think for those who missed out on the uh, the Gold Coast or the Goldie, uh, well done to you for holding on to tickets. Mm. Or for those who don't have tickets, get along and uh, support that particular gig. That'll be a good one. Yeah, B, I, I thought I'd do a little bit of news about the band. Is that okay in terms of each member? Oh, go on. Okay. Gary Gary Beers, uh, if you haven't noticed, in the last week or two has been horse riding and I think, uh, you know, abseiling and flying foxing or whatever in, in Costa Rica. He has been following Gary on his Facebook area there. He's having a great old time in uh, Costa Rica. With his family. Correct. Lovely, yeah. Correct. Uh, Andrew Farris went to a gig the other night and got some great photos with him next to the only sole survivor and member and uh, drummer slash lead singer of the Monkees, which is Mickey Dolans. Yes. So those guys could have had a great picture there. And Mickey Dolans has been on a lot of podcasts recently, some here in Australia, where he He's been interviewed at things, and uh, he's got a great voice. I think a lot of people associate sort of Davy Jones as the lead singer, but he was the British element to things. But you know, uh, Mickey Dolan's uh, you know sung that last train to Clarksville and plenty of the hits and things. And uh, yeah, it was a great photo of him and Marlena and uh, Andrew together. And a beautiful woman. Yes, that's right. Yes. And we have to give a big happy birthday to Marlena. Uh, I did send her a message on behalf of you and I this morning, B. Did you know it was her Thank birthday? You. No, I didn't. Okay. Thank you. So happy. <laughs> Sorry, Marlena. <laughs> we won't mention her age, uh, but it is her birthday today, and a lady doesn't like to have her age revealed. But uh, uh, I think she's younger than us, mate. She's younger than us, but uh, we yeah. will just say happy birthday and thank you for all your efforts so far oh, with the, thank our you podcast. So much. I yes. mean, she was literally the uh, conduit who got Andrew on that particular famous mm. uh, interview with us back in sort of November, December. And when I went to see Andrew, she was um, very kind in letting me go backstage and do the uh, competition. Do you remember when yes, he yes. the hat? That's yes. right. Uh, Dr. Jim was uh, filling in for me there and, yeah, <laughs> doing his thing. I want to give a bit of shout-out, nothing to do with in excess, but uh, an Australian band, not many of us win Grammys, but we had an Australian artist the other week who actually won a Grammy for Best Electronica Song, I think it was. And that's a, a band called Rufus. Um, and they are pretty successful here and now, obviously, overseas. Uh, and they had, I think it was a song called Alive Potential, I think it was called, uh, won a Grammy for Best Electronica Song. So I thought that was worth mentioning, B. Yes. Um, uh, and as you said earlier, uh, a little bit of sad news with Chris Bailey, I'll mention in a moment, but also some other sad news. Uh, there's a gentleman called Ken West. Now, those in the Australian music industry and even overseas, <coughs> overseas would know uh, a bit about Ken. Uh, Ken was one of the original guys who set up the Big Day Out concerts uh, oh. in Australia. 
One of Ken's great coups was in the late 1991 period, before Nirvana broke out worldwide. It was like a two-week window, I think, before they sort of exploded on the musical scene. He signed them to the 1992 uh, January Big Day Out and got them into certain venues for some warm-up concerts here in Melbourne and Sydney and things. And it was really literally like being at the right place at the right time, but he was very famous for signing them to uh, the Big Day Out and ultimately between November and about February 1990, well, November 91, in February 92, there was this big, massive explosion with Nirvana Worldwide and he got in first and had them playing these festivals and some of these smaller gigs first, uh, just as they were taking off globally. So Ken sort of uh, was a very valiant uh, music promoter. I guess, again, another one of these famous people in Australia who made a big contribution to the industry, like uh, Michael Gadinsky and others. So we say thank you, Ken. And again, we, we have mentioned Chris Bailey earlier and I, I just... Thought, you know, it'd be appropriate just for us to give a little bit more for those who don't know his contribution to music. Chris Bailey, well, I think Bob Geldof, you know, which is sort of, I guess, has a link to in excess in a sort of more nefarious way. I think Bob Geldof came out and said there were sort of three major bands that really created punk music. And one was the Sex Pistols, one was the uh, Ramones. Uh, and one was the Saints, and they're all from three different countries, be it London, uh, the UK, America, and Australia. And the Saints started off in 1976, pretty much in terms of their first known song called I'm Stranded out of uh, Brisbane. And this was a really iconic sort of punk song, uh, and typical punk, two, three minutes, you know, social alienation, I don't fit in anywhere, blah, blah, blah. But but the Saints had a very interesting career, B. They went on to a more sort of mature sound, lots of different types of sort of songs and materials. They had a lot of hits in Australia. Uh, Chris was originally Irish-born and probably part of that English migration and uh, the UK Irish uh, migration to Australia. Uh, lived here most of his life, uh, then moved to the Netherlands, where obviously he passed away. But uh, so much so was his success as a songwriter. You know, Bruce Springsteen covered one of his songs about seven years ago and made it one of the lead singles off his, I think his High Hopes album. And that was a song called Just Like Firewood. Oh, that's great. I remember in about 86 when that song came out, I remember seeing... Oh, just like firewood, as in wood, W-O-O-D. But the lyric was just like firewood, W-O-U-L-D. And it was that play on lyrics and spelling that was just that subtle cleverness that he had as a songwriter. And he, uh, you know, if you dive deep on the best of the saints and all the things they did, there are a lot of great songs over their journey. And I guess, as I said, that they were around about at a time where our love of In Excess and In Excess themselves uh, mixed and, uh, and and toured with both, you know, the Saints and In Excess there. So, yeah, it is a significant sort of loss and we will pay a little bit of homage later in this episode. All right, and a quick shout-out. There's a couple of people associated with our podcast. Uh, one's a patron. One's been sort of part, I guess, of a broader mix of, of bands and things like that uh, who are doing a bit tough at the moment medically, and we just sort of want to say a big shout-out to them. We won't mention their names, but uh, we know they listen regularly, and we just want to say we're thinking of you. Yes, we love you loads, and we hope you can get through this with um, lots of support from your friends. Got some other news, Hayden. Uplifting news? 
I have got some sort of uplifting news. Yeah, okay. JD Fortune put a little post out. He is about to hit four million views of Pretty Vegas. Well, he as in the song itself, yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yes. So he's about a hundred off. So if you want to help him out, go check out JD Fortune's page, and then you can go right to directly to the YouTube channel um, and add your um, view. Go, to his you can view. go to the In Excess uh, switch, you know, album, whatever, and download from there too. But four million is pretty exciting. But uh, he said he very uh, subtly said, "Ah, oh, it's all right, boys. The secrets are safe with me." Is that right? Mm, you reckon? <laughs> well, <laughs> wait till they get episode one forty three. We'll get them out of him. <laughs> all right, buddy. That's the news for the week. Hey, this is Tim Farris. Well done, Hayden and B. You've made my brothers and I very proud of what you've achieved so far. A big hello to all your listeners and NXS fans. Hi, this is Felicia from Everett, Washington, USA. You're listening to NXS Access All Areas with Hayden and B, and it's time for the topic of the week. All right, but we're going to get into Full Moon and Dirty Hearts today, B, and this is uh, an album that I've been looking forward to talking about because um, it's definitely sort of a left-of-centre sort of album in the NXS arsenal. Before we go into sort of the album itself and songs and chart positions and all that sort of stuff, we always sort of like to sort of just provide a little bit of a backdrop of, you know, where were the band at at this particular stage? And, you know, when we talked about Kick, we were saying that they were on the precipice of, you know, real global stardom after Listen Like Thieves, you know, when they... In Australia, Chavusha Bar, they were on the precipice of real, real, you know, mystique and, and success in Australia for the swing. And I guess, you know, with uh, something like Full Moon Dirty Hearts, this album was out in, I think, November 2nd, 1993, in terms of its worldwide release. But the band were in a very sort of peculiar position at this time. And I thought, you know, I'll share a few little things from my memory and just some notes I've taken and get some feedback from you and your particular memories as well. But effectively, they've come off, you know, the Welcome to Wherever You Are album that sold fantastically in Europe and gave the band their first number one in England and uh, had great chart success with songs and singles throughout, uh, I guess, uh, Europe. That's sort of two top 50 hits in America, one at, you know, 28 and not enough time, one with 46 with Beautiful Girl. In Australia, Welcome wasn't the juggernaut that other albums had been, but I think it had, you know, critical respect and solid sales. But, you know, they'd come off a situation with the Welcome album where they really hadn't toured it. Yeah, they did a bit of a clubs and uni sort of tour thing in early 93 and a little bit of a smaller tour in America, but largely they hadn't done big stadium gigs behind the Welcome album. They were in a position where they were taking stock that probably, you know, bought properties and were having families after sort of, you know, Kick and X and that sort of period. And I know Kirk and, and the band had said in interviews at the time that they just wanted to record more. They mm. felt that seven albums, you know, between sort of the, the first album and X wasn't a huge amount of material from 1977 to sort of 1991, so seven albums in 14 years, they felt that they wanted to get more artistic uh, merit uh, down and record. So, you know, obviously after having Mark Opitz doing The Welcome, uh, it was only some sort of six months later, uh, barely they went into the studios to do the Full Moon recording, where Mm -hmm. if you think about that album sort of tour rest cycle that bands go through, you know, a lot of the bands uh, and the bigger bands, you know, would go through a three- to four-year hiatus, you know, you know, prepare the album, write the album, record the album, tour the album, rest after the album and the tour, get back to write the next one, then release. It's, <clears throat> it's often a, you know, a four-year 
uh, process in between. I think the band were under uh, a little bit of record label pressure, but I think, you know, with, with Chris, as we know, they were negotiating a new deal with Polygram, which meant they were on their last album, really, I think, studio release for uh, uh, Atlantic in America. Now, I think the greatest hits a year or so later was the final album in that sort of uh, contractual commitment. But they were, I guess, in a situation where they were breaking convention a little bit, a bit like Prince was doing, putting something out so quick after the last release. And commercially, it often isn't great commercial planning or instincts to release too much material too soon. Now, back in the 60s and things like that with the Beatles, it was almost expected to have an album every year. Um, the Beach Boys, I think, in one year released three albums, but they were back in the days where albums were sonically and production-wise done in three to five days, you know, and, and they were they weren't studio wizardry that there was subsequent to that. So it was probably a period B, and, you know, be keen to know yourself and your memories where, you know, going in and releasing an album so soon after Welcome uh, was a risk, you know, artistically-wise uh, or maybe more commercially-wise um, to put so much material out so quick. What's your memory of the period as well for you? Well, I wasn't really a fan at this point, to tell you the truth. I mean, I was a fan, but not listening to their music so much. It was like I was listening to all that old music, like Kick and um, Swing and Listen Like Thieves still. But I hadn't really progressed that much into Welcome and to um, Full Because I think when we went through our 1993 Pleasure and Pain recently, you were definitely out on the, uh, the ledge there with some really interesting stuff you were listening to around that year, weren't you? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'd moved. I'd moved on. Um, I mean, I was looking to listen to a lot of indie stuff. I would yeah. call and um, grunge. Um, but I mean, that that's the thing that I've like read and taken as well. I, I, I hate saying this, but I don't think I'm on my own when I say it. Is I just thought hate saying it because I don't want the boys to get hurt by it but I just thought they'd have been a bit of a has been banned they mm. were stuck in the 80s and early you know 80s band and and that was it they'd had their time and and that was their music I think also for me I felt that they'd got a bit too polished too quickly with X mm. and it, they, they were a bit boy bandy and like you've said to me before you I don't like the dog tooth and stuff like that I love the music I just the, the what, was the the what image, tooth the dog tooth t when they had those suits on and they were walking down the, the um down oh the baby don't cry and stuff that's it baby don't oh cry. no I love that you hated that yeah and I, I didn't say you hated it I said I <laughs> didn't like it oh right okay and, yeah and and I it wasn't that I don't like the songs I love the songs it was the image that they were given wasn't my in excess that I like to relate at the time I was immature obviously about yeah. music I I felt that I had to relate to what music looked like and I hope I'm I'm talking sense here, but yeah. when uh, now, now I'm listening to Welcome and I'm listening to Formo, what bloody good records they are. Mark Opitz, you're a genius. And he brought back the Listen Like Thieves and the Swing back to where it should be for me. Well, look, he's, he's just sort of more of a perspective and a mindset, you know, around 1991, you know, you had the surge of Nirvana, you had REM sort of hitting their commercial sort of peak. You two brought out Acton Baby. Uh, you had the grunge movement sort of with, you know, Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains and Soundgarden, all those 
indie bands getting uh, through the sub pop label in uh, I think uh, Seattle, getting their time in the sun. And well, they were overshadowing in well, access in a way. Well, let, let, let's try get some sort of understanding of how the music industry works. Well, the, the music men or the money men chase mm. the next big thing, and exactly. And and what happens is is that sometimes, and this is what we will sort of tackle a little bit with this album, is that is that reviewers, magazines, the public. All of these particular entities who have an opinion tend to like to categorise things. Now, you were probably in that phase where you're experimenting with different music, different sounds, and it's, it takes a lot of loyalty for actually a, a person to stay with their band for their whole duration of their career. Yeah. And that's not a slight on you or, you know, a, a, you know, a, a kudos to Matt Mars or anything like that. But if you're going to stick with your band, you sort of go through the ups and downs, you hang in there with them. But equally, as we've done this podcast, you can criticise the band if you don't think something is good or something was maybe a departure uh, or something was just not hitting the mark. I think with this particular album, you know, and we'll get into two parts of this album. One is just let's just take the white noise away and what the sound, the, what the, uh, the Scuttlebug and all the other type of bands and all the other sort of, you know, new wave, uh, well, not new wave, all the other sort of alternative acts that sort of gained prominence of that period and we will just get into these songs at some point in this double episode. But the reality is, is that the band could have put out, you know, Sergeant Peppers and the world probably weren't listening and the critics weren't respecting and the greater sort of, you know, uh, you know, media juggernaut, you know, which is generally themselves have a, uh, a generational shift. Now we often talk about bands being part of a generation. Well, music critics grow up a little bit too and they get a little bit older and then they move on to other things. And then there's other young journos coming through and there's new magazines coming out and getting prominence like Q Magazine and, mm. you know, and obviously, you know, me, been around a long time, but, you know, those ones, Melody Maker, but there's always new cutting-edge journos coming in and critics who want to attach themselves to the next big thing. So whether it was the, you know, the Stone Roses in the late 80s, early 90s, whether it was, you know, Primal Scream bringing out Scream Medallica around 91, 92, mm. um, you know, that acid rock movement in Manchester, I mean, they're all looking for that next wave and movement because music is cultural and it's part of a sort of a zeitgeist. Mm. And, you know, unfortunately for In Excess, as I said, they could have put, put out a double album of the White Album and, and Sgt Peppers and they still probably would have got shit-canned. Mm. Um, the one thing the interesting you just said before was now you listen to the album, you can just listen to it as a mature listener and you go, well, I'm actually hearing what I didn't hear back then. Yeah, yeah, and there's a kind of guilt there that I didn't listen at the time, but then... I might not have enjoyed it as much as I'm enjoying it now. Yeah. Well, look, you know, that, that was sort of just sort of the period at the time. Um, I think, you know, when I look back at this period of 90, sort of late 91, early 92, around the Concert for Life and then around 93 when they were recording this in the early part of the year in Capri, uh, which is uh, Mark Opitz, one of his favourite venues and countries, they were really at a very creative spike. Now, if you add up all the uh, the songs off Welcome and all the songs off Full Moon, add up all the great B-sides off Welcome, you've got probably close to 30, 35 really interesting, divergent, sonically mm. creative tracks that um, are really interesting. When you go back and listen to some of these tracks and Welcome, they were really, I think in a way, you know, as we've said, they were sort of cutting down their own sort of, you know, uh, image and wanting to come up with something quite creative and new and build sort of a new sound and, tra- and challenge themselves as well. And I think, you know, you could see, especially with Welcome and what Mark had said, you know, Andrew and Michael were particularly 
uh, you know, really into the production of that album. And I think with, all right, Michael had his troubles during, you know, the pre-recording. And I think we know that what went on in 92 in, in uh, Denmark there with mm. the head injury, that didn't help the recordings, but there still was a creative side to Michael and the songwriting and what John did and what Andrew did that make this quite compelling listening. Yeah. It's a bit of a standout album to the others because there's a lot of anger at the beginning, but then it softens, but um, I can't wait to actually review Yeah, no, no, you're right. I think lyrically there's some interesting terrain they cover with that. Um, mm. Just a couple of little things, a few little anecdotes there. Uh, the cover uh, of the album with the band uh, sort of sitting in the back of the van. is great. Yeah, I think they had two choices. Uh, the band went with that one, and but there's some other footage there where you've seen where the band is sitting there with the woman sort of, you know, they're all sitting there like, the Last Supper there, you see on some of the CD singles. and mm. there's Mike, a I didn't like any of those photos today, I've heard. Yeah, well, look, look I'm glad that the, the ones which uh, are there with the band in the back of the van there, it's a bit of a back-to-basic sort of yeah. where we're a band with six guys together and I think it was sort of, you know, less was more at the time, which was good. Mm. I think, you know, this, this particular period there, you know, Chris Murphy um, has gone on record and it may be in story to story as well from my memory, but... Um, he was worried about this album because he, you know, he often has said, oh, I like to get on a, a plane and I want to think of the sequencing and the videos and different things. And it wasn't that he didn't respect the album. I think he didn't quite know how to market it because it does go off in various tangents. But I think he was quite keen for them to get duets in there with Chrissy Hine and and, yeah. and Ray Charles and and have an angle or, or a, a, an angle he could market it with. So I do know Chris had a bit of a say in that, um, yeah. albeit the band may have a Shame different... Shame there wasn't more of those duets well you know it'd be an interesting thing you could do a whole album yeah. of them and call it duets i'd like to know <laughs> who else would have loved to have i mean did he do one with tom jones no well, i think tom jones did one with natalie and Bruley, the cover that yeah. never tear us apart on tom's oh, okay uh, album. yeah i mean yeah. they were friends though weren't they so i bet they sang in a bar somewhere too probably long. probably um actually hayden before you go on and i know that you want to and I'll probably cut this out but it's something that's really bugging me and i wanted to know chris murphy when did he leave 95 and this album came 93. out in 93 yeah okay so two years later okay yeah i just yeah. needed to know okay as we said earlier, Mark Opens was back at the helm, although one of the tracks on the I'm Only Looking was produced by the Brian Eno of Roxy Music fame and uh, of, you know, U2 and Peter Gabriel and uh, Talking Heads fame in terms of production duties. Um, and we'll talk about that later when we get to that track. This was the first ever album that was sort of uh, simultaneously released with videos for every song. So it was often called... Full Moon, Dirty Hearts, the the audio or the album visual, the audio visual, whatever mm-hmm. version of it. And uh, I do remember on Rage or MTV around 93, staying up on the Friday night to tape uh, this because it was being played from first track to the 12th track mm-hmm. uh, with all the videos. And uh, I think you remember from the videos, it starts off with the tree and tree. it goes inside the tree yeah. stump. And it's quite a handy sort of um, well, didn't they use, imagery. Um, yeah, they use lots of... Um, a young up-and-coming yes. artist to um, film film producers. Yeah, a lot of young filmmakers were involved with that, mm. and there's some some young actors in that. Uh, one of the All famous different. guys, mm. Ben Mendelsohn, was in uh, the Full Moon Dirty Hearts song there, and he's gone on to big Hollywood fame. But, yeah, the band sort of, you know, we're always good at investing in, in young bands to go on tour with, but they really invest in young filmmakers and actors on this to sort of give back something there and, and have a different sort of angle to things. Yeah. 
famously, as we know, B, uh, they appeared on the David Letterman show. We're pleased you got that. Um, oh, brilliant. Yeah. I have come up with a very interesting anecdote that I only found out through digging deep and researching this week, B. Can I share it with you? And it's Go about ahead. your favourite man, Timmy. Oh, what's he done now? Well, they were in rehearsals at the Letterman show, apparently, okay, mm. and Michael had to go for a number one. Uh, as we say in Australia, he had to go for a piss, okay? okay. Is a number one a pee or a poo? Uh, <laughs> number one is a pee and number two is a little bit more heavy duty. confused. Yeah. Go for one return. Working blue today, B. okay? <laughs> All right, Um but uh, Ray Charles, who's a little bit sort of visually challenged, as we know, happened to say to Michael, put his arm on Mike, said, hey, man, that's really cool the way you're singing that in rehearsals. But he put his arm on Tim's shoulder. Oh. <laughs> uh, oh. of, which, of which Tim turned around and said, well, actually, I'm not Michael. I'm actually the guitar lieutenant. And, and he just laughed and said, oh, blah, 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 blah. And they had a bit of a funny laugh about it. You know? uh, that's, uh, that's cool, brother. You know, look, it's obviously a very famous one there. And. I think, as Andrew said, Andrew's father was very much a Ray Charles fan and I think for probably, uh, I think he was alive, as Andrew said at the time, to see the man on stage playing with uh, Mr Charles mm-hmm. was a very high moment for the band at the time. And, um, yeah, uh, Ray appeared in the video of the song and I think there was two videos of the song at the time, uh, but the, the Ray version, he came and appeared in the video. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, so the band have sort of released this particular album if I could self-indulgently for a moment explain where I first heard it, I, I heard it one week before it was released because my uh, local record store down in uh, the place where I studied had a pre-release copy on tape and because they knew I was a regular coming in every week to buy my little singles at the time, the owner there said, hey, come over here, listen to this, and pulled the tape out and played it to me. So Exciting. at Capricorn Records in Warnable, so I'm very oh, indebted. Good, yes, good on them, yeah. Yeah. A happy little Hayden. Hayden, I was, how old were you? I was uh, all of about 11. Uh, no, you were. <laughs> yeah, liar. Plus a couple um, of years. Wait, 21? <laughs> uh, a little bit. Uh, yeah, I'll take that. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, we'll go through charts a little bit later, but the major singles off the album, as I think a lot of us know, were The Gift, Please You Got That, uh, Time, uh, and Freedom Deep were the major singles, although I believe maybe Born To Be Wild may have got a Japanese release as a single off the album because it's on the extended version there and was a soundtrack song in one of the Aussie movies at the time. Reckless Kelly, I think the movie was called. So uh, they were the sort of singles and things like that. The B-sides uh, on this B, do you remember or have you got any recollection of the B-sides? Well, I can tell you they loaded up. I remember at the time they loaded up with every hit possible as B-side. And I'm not saying this is desperation, but I think this is a is a is a something that I think you know, commercially, you know, Chris wanted to have a sort of return to commercial fare. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Welcome wasn't sort of the juggernaut, albeit artistically it was. So if you bought the gift single um, or if you bought Please or if you bought some of the, the singles in the various markets, you got songs like What You Need and Original Sin and Need You Tonight and some yeah. of the live track versions. I mean, there's so many CD singles of these copies around the world. Mm-hmm. A lot of these ones were hits either... Uh, studio versions or some remix versions or live tracks and things. But it was aimed to sort of, um, you know, load up, et cetera. Then. I think the sounds, B, when you've been listening to it over this last few weeks and things, what, what sort of comes to you with some of the sounds and things like that when you listen to it? Well, the fact that it's quite grungy in most parts, but lots of guitars, like, crashing in, especially at the very beginning, the first 
probably four tracks are really yeah. in your face yeah. and then it and then it peels back and um, yeah okay. what, well what would you say in excess i guess you could always say there's a lot going on on an excess album they don't just play a certain tempo that's on no. 11 versions Although of the same there is song a couple isn't there there is one that's um full moon dirty hearts is very much a very solid tempo all the way through well, you know, I guess in tempo, what I'm referring to is that you can get a song that's mid-tempo, like a bit of tears. It's sort of, you know, it, it's it's not high or too low, it just meanders the middle a bit. And then you can get real crunching songs, etc. There, like what you need, that's a little bit more high tempo. But I think on this particular album, there was a variation of sounds, etc. There, and I thought we're going to go into the songs a little bit and give a little bit of individual sort of uh, thrust on things. But there are 12 tracks on the album, so I thought I'd just give a quick little sort of summary of each one about the sounds a bit, if I could be. It opens up with Days of Rust. Now, um, that's, I think, what you said earlier, a bit of an aggressive sort of, you could say angry, but there's a lyric in there where he says, I've got plans to make you wrong or prove you wrong, I should say. Mm-hmm. It's quite an aggressive lyric, but... Uh, this particular sound at the time, I remember when it was reviewed or this song, they said it had a bit of a, a sound like Big Audio Dynamite. Now, yeah. you might remember them. Mm-hmm. We put on the Globe and Rush and things before. Mm-hmm. Some of the guitar work is a bit similar of that sort of sound. Yeah. I think the gift that came out next was the most grungy sort of epic sort of sound and you could sense that got mixed with that type of dirty sort of not mm-hmm. clean type of guitar. Yeah. And that sort of, you know, has stood the test of time. But it was probably... I think at the time the band was struggling to go, do we follow the grunge pathway or do we do our own thing? And mm-hmm. I think, again, part of this album is a little bit of a compromise between do we step into new new terrain, do we keep sort of being the leaders that we are or have been, do we copy and emulate the sounds of the time? I mean, there's so much going on here. They do probably have a bet each way. Yeah, yeah. You know? The, those last two, Days of Rust and The Gift, they would be really good energy songs to actually start a gig with as well, like get, yeah. get, get the audience going. Well, I've again, me and a couple of friends at the time, we were very fortunate to see them on this clubs and uni tour between Welcome and Full Moon. Mm-hmm. And when we went to see them live, we saw, saw them live at one of these little three gigs in Melbourne in 93. Mm-hmm. They opened up with communication at each show, but then they went into seven songs in a row from Full Moon. And we hadn't even yeah, heard the songs. Yeah. And it would be, it would be high energy and it oh, yeah. would be adrenaline rush, yeah. I should imagine. Mm. And some bands do that. They get in road test material and they go in the studio and t- tweak with it and whatever. Third song on the album, Make Your Peace. Uh, originally, this was the one submitted to Ray Charles to do. He, he felt that his voice range maybe didn't suit the keys and then Andrew uh, didn't quite have time to change the, the keys around and re-record the music, uh, the bed of music. But... Uh, Ray ended up liking, you know, please, you got that. But there's a very heavy bass funk element on on Make Your Peace. We get into Time, which is next, which I think you put a little advertorial out this week, B, 100th I've episode. Done a few, yes. Yeah. This is one of them, yes. This is their ACDC moment <laughs> <laughs> with some of the riffs. And we'll, uh, mm. we'll elaborate on that later. Yes. Um, I'm only looking uh, with uh, Brian Eno there. Lots of lots of trumpet and sort of brass sounds on this one, mm, B. Beautiful. Very voyeur and and, uh, and, and dramatic. Mm. It still sounds fantastic. Mm. Please, you've got that. Very funky R&B with Ray. You know, we, we look forward to playing a bit in a moment. Uh, Full Moon Dirty Hearts, very, very bluesy sound. And I think Michael wrote the lyrics to this when they were catching sort of the ferries over to the island of Capri. You know, okay. he had that imagery there that sort of was yeah, the genesis for that. Mm. And uh, the fantastic Chrissy Hindby that the band loved and probably through 
Chris Thomas and things like that. Um, the band always loved the Pretender stuff and uh, yeah. and Chris's production. So getting Chrissy Hine on there, I think she adds a really lovely vocal, doesn't she? Oh, she's got an amazing voice. Brass in Pockets, one of my top yeah. ten songs. Yeah. And what a great film clip in the uh, the waitress, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, this is probably the part of the album where it veers a little bit into this sort of quieter moments where it goes into, you know, after full minute it goes into Freedom Deep with a very world sort of music, Peter Gabriel sort of, sort of you know, um, dreamy type, you know, orchestral instrumental yeah. there, um, which then lends lovely, you know, nicely into Kill the Pain, which if anyone likes David Bowie, he had an album called Hunky Dory, and I think Michael sort of channels a little bit of David Bowie in the sort of vocal. Okay. And then it goes into Cut Your Roses Down, which is a bit of a favourite of Gary's, for those who don't know. Gary loved playing this live, and it's mm. got a real, like, click your fingers thing to it, hasn't it? You know? Mm. Um, mm. Michael used to love saying this song's about fascists. <laughs> 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 this is about fascism and fascists. He'd say that all the gigs and, uh, and in interviews, he loved He had this word at the time saying fascists. <laughs> Maybe he'd been watching the young ones a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it must have been. Remember that? That fascist? Yeah. It would have been about that year, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, they then roll into... Uh, the Messenger or Don't Blame It on The Messenger, I think it originally was called, I think it abbreviated to The Messenger. If you listen to the guitars at the start of this, we'll play it soon. It's the Rolling Stones. Hearts on your sleeve. It's a, yeah. Don't tell, Ke- don't tell Keith, but it's. Don't uh, tell Keith, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Love the film clip with the uh, the Black Mama, you know, uh, 70s uh, hair disco thing and yeah. kidnapping one of the guys. The film clip's hilarious. It's probably the yeah, funniest in excess clip. Oh, it's hilarious. Done. It's so funny. If you haven't yeah. got it, YouTube it. And then they go to Viking Juice, which again has these sort of Roxy music meets the doors almost overtones. Yeah. The vocal and the end of rock and roll. And there's sonically so many sort of left and right turns going on here and we will sort of tackle sort of the song soon, but... I did want to sort of just bunch them together a bit like that, B, because there was, uh, I think, some 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 innovation here, some influences. We're going to try a bit of this. We're going to follow that trend there. We're going to sort of uh, add this in here. I think it's the only album where they have two producers on the album. That is, all right, it's only one, one track with Brian. Yeah. No disrespect to Mark, but I think Michael in the interview one time said, oh, yeah, we would have loved him to do the whole album, but it just time-wise it didn't fit in. Um, mm-hmm. I think Brian was re- um, producing that year for one of your favourite bands, James. Uh, remember the song Laid? Oh, yeah, yeah. They okay. put out two albums in a year. I think Brian might have been producing them at the time. But All um, oh, right. He's a busy man then. He is, he is. Yeah, so I, I think, as I said, with, with, with Welcome, you know, I look at that album, it's, it's, it's very artistic, it's very um, experimental in parts, it's really trying so many different things. And I think they do that here, but... There's a certain element of aggression, rock and roll, bring the guitar. It's not straightforward rock like your bogan rock, but it, no. you know when it goes aggressive, it goes aggressive. You yes. know, there's some really aggressive sounds here. Mm. And I think this tour, I probably saw these songs played live six, seven, eight times, at oh, least eight concerts. Yeah. So seeing them live before they were recorded and then seeing them played live after they were recorded. I think they were better live. I've actually Googled and looked at a few live performances and they're much better than the album. Well, I think they're live at, uh, live at uh, the uh, Hangar. What's it, the Hangar um, in Barker. Santa Monica? Barker Hangar, yeah. Um, you'll see quite a bit of the Full Moon stuff on that and a little bit of Welcome stuff on that particular gig because that was uh, done in 93. I think or early '94. Argentina, the one that I saw. Possibly, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And the other thing about the the tour be that uh, when they did the Full Moon uh, Dirty Hearts tour, I think it was called the Dirty Honeymoon Tour, which uh, mm. I thought was an interesting name at the time. And uh, in Australia, I remember it was in the early parts of 1994, uh, which uh, I was fortunate enough to go to. Today, though, uh, when I was doing a little bit of a, a deep dive, uh, it was really interesting just seeing the amount of songs they played at some of the gigs. Be can I share a few of these with you? Go ahead. Um, the one in Brixton, which was quite famous in '94, they only played 20 songs there. But when they went on to tour in Belgium, I think uh, at some of the venues there, they played 25 songs. Uh, there was another one there in the US, 25 songs, uh, 24, 25, 23, 24. So one of the things which I always found exciting within Excess, you got real value for money when you toured. It was always hard for them, particularly by this stage, to edit the song list to fit everything in. And we all know that they've probably got 50 songs they could play. But, uh, yeah, when you went along, you generally got a pretty good array of choices of songs to listen to. You take it easy because you don't know the feeling. Make it up, make it up like you do no wrong. Give me fever like a man blind to passion. If you got the time, I'll show you how to turn it on. All right, now, we've gone through a little bit about backdrop about Full Moon Dirty Hearts, a, a couple of little stats just to kick things off before we go into having a bit of a listen. Uh, this album was actually uh, made between November 92 and February 93. Uh, the duration of the album was 39 minutes and 57 seconds. So as we often say, NXS weren't big on big, grandiose five-minute solos and eight-minute epic songs, Hello, Guns N' Roses. <laughs> uh, always try to keep things tight and punchy and to the point. Recorded on the island of Capri by uh, Mark Opitz, and uh, obviously he had his uh, trusted ally, Niven Garland, who was doing a lot of the engineering work. Uh, a lot of the mixing work mm-hmm. of the album was then done in LA by Bob Clearmountain, who was uh, a great old friend of uh, uh, of Mark, and uh, Bob had had uh, a bit of work done, uh, I think, with uh, Kick and maybe X as well. Uh, an interesting one, there's a guy called Chris Kimsey was vocal producer, and we might ask Mark about that because Chris Kimsey actually uh, helped produce one of Noiseworks, I think, second album. Bit of a tie-in there. Mark did the first album of Noiseworks with John Stevens, who joined the band later on, and Chris Kimsey, I think, did the second one, uh, yet here they are working on Full Moon, so that might be an interesting area to tackle. Yep. But, uh, yeah, we want to get into maybe listening to some of these tracks, Ben. I'd love uh, for you to give your sort of uh, version on things. Uh, I gave a little bit of a rundown earlier, but uh, we're going to put on each track, 1 to 12. I'm going to give a, a quick little first impressions, 2022 view of things. So we'll take it off, B, with the first song, Days of Rust. Woohoo, at last. Let's get on with it. The of money. It's like, 
bang, we're in, rough, ready. Um, yeah, it just sounds like the gang's got back together and just gone right da- down and dirty. I just love it. It sounds like a bit of a finger up at somebody, and I'm not guessing who it is. Well, I think, you know, the word is uh, they say these days have made a rust ru- counted out in loss. I've got mm. plans to prove you wrong. To me, mm. I think it's a it's a Michael aggressive lyric maybe about the critics, the media, the band's not washed up, you know, mm. we've got plans to prove you wrong. Like, I always felt like that at the time it was like that. Mm. And the notion of days of rust, you know, like it's a bit like, oh, is your ear over, whatever there, you know, we've got yeah. something to say. And as an opener on an album, Inexist have always had a strong, punchy, out there opener. Everything mm-hmm. bar welcome where they had questions, which was a more, you know, as I said, experimental Indian thing. But I always think that first song of an album makes a statement, and I think this song oh. does. Big statement. Yeah. Like I say, I feel like it is a big finger up and it's uh, really in your face. It's mm. a real, yeah, yeah, love it. Okay. Okay, ready All for right. the next one? We'll get into the gift, B. Take it away. the scars are mine and he repeats it i love that lyric it's like you know i'm owning it i'm owning it i've got i've i've been through the wars i i, I understand myself hmm. i love that i love that and um, the gift gonna last forever so it's like is it a good gift or is it a bad gift the video's amazing. Well, this one, um, I guess, is quite sort of a religious song in a sense. It's uh, mm. with the film clip there with the, the crucifixion and, and, and the, the nails on the wrists of Jesus, et cetera, there. This gift uh, you gave us is going to last forever. I think it, it's definitely mm. a sort of a religious type sort of overtone. Yeah. This was a top 15 hit in Australia and the UK. In America, the video got, video got banned, which is literally two albums in a row where, you know, Taste It, now this one got banned and it really stifled the momentum in America because Mm. it should have been the hit that was sort of, this was the song, I remember the time going, this is great, this is like, this is real musical development, this is a, it's almost got a bit of a U2 big sonic, you know, guitar, dirty, grungy thing. It should have been the song that got them back in the US charts in a big way and, again, the record company. And I mean, sometimes you ban something and it becomes really popular because everybody wants to go watch it, but just didn't didn't have the lift for for the album that it should have, you know. But it still sounds great all these years later and it's, again, a a rare John Farris lead single composition with great uh, lyrics by Michael. Where did it place in the UK, did you say? Uh, I think it was actually 11 or 12 roughly in the UK. Yeah, yeah. uh, Similar in Australia. Mm -hmm. Everything that was, every single they were releasing in in England was always Mm. anywhere between a top 10 to 25 rough scenario. They they had about eight to 10 in a row there where everything was hitting top 20 
uh, approximately. Yeah, but to place this as number two on the album after coming out with the, you know, that really raw, um, dirty days of rust with a finger up, and then this one, yes, this one else, you know, it's an in-your-face. Well, song, it is. It's, isn't it's, it? it's, it's mm. if you it's look like a double whammy. Yeah, and we'll talk about the sequencing uh, at the end. But uh, yeah, it, it, if you if you're looking at saying from a listening experience. You're coming out of that one-two punch. You're like, okay, mm. the, the boys are coming out loud and aggressive, you know? Mm, mm. All okay. right. Should we, should we see if the anger continues? Okay. We'll take it away for number three, make your peace. <laughs> Yet another little bit of anger, I reckon. Um, another punch in the guts to somebody else. <laughs> Please tell. Oh uh, well, and put your teeth and make your peace. It's what you you asked for. Whoa. So yeah, it's like, mm, what? Who is this director again? Is it a person or is it the media again? Well, you know, we might have to sort of go back to Andrew on this particular one because uh, Andrew obviously was a co-writer with Michael, and he might have mm. some some firsthand knowledge there. But uh, this particular song, to me, I, I don't have a love hate with it. I, I like it, but it's the first part of the album where I feel like they. Uh, they repeat themselves a little bit too much. They hit the chorus a little bit too quick. The video is fantastic. I don't know if you remember it. It's where the person's in the car and they're trying to get out of the car. And, you know, I think there's a woman and a guy in the car and it's driving along and, it, and, and uh, it's out in the big desert there. And it's really, really interesting sort of video. Uh, it's fantastic baseline on this by Gary, mm-hmm. Tour de Force. Michael's vocal's really strong. This was uh, a song they did send to Ray Charles originally that they thought he might like to sing, but he didn't think the register suited him. Uh, hence, uh, he chose another one. Look, I think it's a really solid track. It's It comes out number three. It's catchy. It, it, they uh, The chorus repeats itself too much. I think that's the only demerit for me on it. Uh, okay. As a listening experience, I think by the end of it, sometimes I feel like, oh God, they kept saying the chorus too much. I could have less was could have been more. Yeah, Michael's voice is very soulful in this one as well, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, very, very powerful. Well, it's song. a very R and B sort of, mm. you know, you know, uh, soul type sort of lyric with a sort of uh, a real James Brownness to it, you know. Mm. Mm. All right, B, we'll take you into number four off uh, side A. The song is Time. Cool, because this is a big favourite for a lot of us. Go.
the hearing live, as I said before, was actually uh, on an album. So as I said a bit earlier, there was a road testing of some of these songs on their clubs and pubs sort of tour of 93. This particular song I thought was going to be called It's Only Time because that's sort of this, you know, the, the sense, yeah. sentence or words of chorus. Mm-hmm. But around that time, there was a bit of a thing amongst bands to reduce songs to one word. So if you look at a Pearl Jam album like uh, 10, virtually every song was like Alive. Oceans, yeah. <laughs> you know, dissident. Oh, dissident was on versus, but you know, a lot of bands like to reduce the the length of song titles to make them like one word. So I always felt like this was should have been called "It's Only Time" because that was the flow of the chorus. But yeah, time B. This had a bit of an ACDC riff about it. Uh, very, very uh, turned up in the mix. What's your thoughts on it? I love the beginning, that little sample. It's like, ooh, quite quirky, little punch in there. Michael's voice is set back quite a bit with this. So the guitar yeah. actually sounds like a response to him when he yes. talks. Yes. So I quite like I quite like that. Um, and that put you in cages and treat you unkind. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then just when you taste it, you turn and walk away. Is that like a taste of the lifestyle that they've had? And this is a um, then relaxing back into becoming, you know, just like about town. Not, not Mike, so Michael was always a little bit opaque and, and a little bit less literal in his lyric writing. I think as he mm-hmm. went on with his solo albums and, and what he did on uh, Elegantly Wasted, where he was a bit more literal, he was always a little bit sort of said opaque with his lyrics where, you know, you would probably need to sit down with him and go through that. But it is an interesting lyric. There is uh, a great chorus, a great sort of strong sort of rhythm there. And I think the film clip, mm. Uh, is really, you know, right out of the bar- Barker Hanger gig and he's got the Hustler T-shirt on B and I'm sure the yeah. ladies out there and some of the blokes like that one. Um, yeah. And yeah. I like it because I play it quite a bit in our show yeah. as our little um, interludes, I would call them. I think mm. this was one of the songs that sort of lasted in sort of later concerts when they got to Allegedly Wasted. Like, you know, unfortunately this album, sort of, as I said, may have been seen by the band as not so much a bad album, but part of a period where Michael's circumstances were, were declining. And it was a painful, I think, post-script of this album where they didn't play a lot of these songs subsequently live. But this was one track that did have a bit of legacy with it and was played live on future tours with and without Michael. I think the other thing with this particular song, there is a little bit of a guitar bridge there later in the song that does have a bit of a sound of Summer of 69 by Brian Adams. So I'll challenge the listeners if they can uh, actually just compare that. But that may be my nerd and B, uh, B kicking in. But, yeah, time, bit of a winner. Uh, bit of a rocky start, eh? Four down and we've no, no, no ballads yet. No, yeah. I know. It's in your face. Okay. All right, <laughs> next one, B, the Voyeur song, I'm Only Looking. Who are you? I hear voices inside my head And I deceive And I believe My whispered friends What do I hear About I'm delirious when I'm delirious when Taking me deeper and deeper, man. Taking me deeper and deeper, man. I'm only looking 
All right, you go, B. Am I? Yes. Can I go first? Yes. I feel this is a bit of a drug song, Take Me Deeper, <laughs> Knock Me Out. I think about Michael with his head injury for this one for some reason, but this is uh, this is a personal take on it, that, you know, he just wants to, um, a bit like Killing the Pain in a way, even though that's one of the songs for later, that he just wants to feel out of it more, you know. You think you know, it, it, Take Me Higher and Higher. Yeah. Mm. I, look, I, I look at this film clip. This I think this film clip gives away this song and its sort of true meaning. Uh, you know, it's it's very voyeuristic. The lyric it's very voyeuristic mm. in terms of some of the strip clubs and the seedier side and the darker mm. side of things. Mm. Which sort of it's it's a bit of a companion piece, I think, to Viking Juice. I was going to say that too. Oh right, you had a chance to say yeah, you didn't I say have, yeah, look, yeah. I'm right. going to show you. Um, look, what does that say? I there? can't read. I can't you see. You can't. You're <laughs> going to read that bit. Look. All right. Well, <laughs> this song was the only track on the album that was actually produced by. Brian Eno uh, of uh, U2 production fame, Talking Heads, originally in mm-hmm. Roxy Music. It has a bit yes. of a Roxy Music feel to it with Michael's sort of, it's got a bit of a Brian Ferry vocal technique to it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's some of the sounds there, it goes into some really nice sort of brass, trumpety, sax sort of sounds there with some really great production on it. It sounds sonically really different from everything on the album and it's not no surprise given it was produced by Brian Eno. Mm-hmm. But this is not a very commercial song, but Boy, it still stacks up 30 years later really well. It is a well. very, very good song, yeah. But yeah. I, I just, I can't help but feel it's like, you know, partaking in a few drugs. Yeah, but it's got this, it's got this great little in excess riff, you know, that classic little in excess funky mm. riff, this brass thing, this seedier sort of guitar, you know, into brass. Mm. It's it's a really sort of a, an amalgamation of all these sounds coming together, and I think it's fantastic. So that's number five. We will go to the last song on side AB. We're dealing with uh, uh, tapes and albums here. Uh, number six B, please, you've got that. <laughs> To this one it's so darn cool isn't it from andrew and mark what they've uh, had they uh, said it come together if you ever listen to the podcast in previous episodes you'll hear mark talk about how this came about really yeah, yeah it's just two legends together isn't it and yeah. their voices complement each other so well it's just um really good big rock and roll song and there's just so much energy on the stage and in the in the room yeah. i should say michael just sounds so awesome in this i just absolutely love it i think if you want to get a backstory in this one of the great ones is on that mystify unofficial soundtrack slash mm. off the doco where we get to yeah. hear michael sort of teaching mr charles 
how we would like it sung in a very respectful way to Ray Charles, but also Ray being very respectful back, taking lead and direction from Michael. And I think that's fantastic as a backstory. I think it's just a great song, a great riff. It's um, Mm. it's a classic three-and-a-half-minute mid-tempo type in excess track that uses that word need again. They've had lots of success with the word need in certain hits, like what you need and need you for night. And it's that sort of guttural, emotional, you know, you know, primal type word that seems to be symptomatic of their music and they sing it to great effect here. Yeah, and the guitars sound amazing too yep. and they kick in, don't they? Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, well done. If you, if you want to see the best live version, go watch the Letterman version uh, where yes. Michael and Ray are on the chair singing away. So do yourself a favour. I can't help but think that stages of rather small and they all, well, seven of them crammed in on that one. All right, millennials. Well, this is the thing where us oldies used to turn over a tape, turn over an album uh, and go to side two where uh, I guess the second set of six songs uh, barks upon itself. Yep. Here we go with Full Moon and Dirty Heart, the title track. Full moon in a dirty sky. motivated by a water taxi ride from uh, the mainland to the island of Capri with Michael there. But uh, it really starts off as this real brooding, bluesy sort of song there and the lovely and the inimitable Chrissy Hine lending her vocal chops be. Uh, and how do you find this song 30 years later? Um, it's not my favourite, to tell you the truth. Okay. It's not my favourite, but I do love Chrissy and yep. I do love Michael and Chrissy together. But... The actual song, it's not one of my favourites off the album at all. Yeah, I'm sorry, no, it's not really one well, it's one me. of my favourites, so uh, mm. I'll give mm. you my reasons why. I like the imagery of the vocal, Full Moon Dirty Hearts. I like uh, the escalation where it's into the deep blue sea and it sort of climbs. Um, mm. And I think Chrissy's vocal, I mean, she she could sing, you know. Yeah. She could, yeah, she could, yeah. She could read out the contents of two-minute two noodles and make it sound cool, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But uh, it hits, again, it's a song that hits the chorus maybe a verse too quick for me. Again, it's just a bit of a pattern on some things, but uh, I still love it and I still think it's great. Mm. But mm. each to their own. Uh, it's good that we don't always agree on everything. I know. I'm reading my notes here. I don't know what planet I was on when I was doing these notes because we we did it from a while ago. But honestly, I've written, oh, it's not my favourite, blah, blah, blah. And then I've put, I've just got to read you my notes because okay. it's hilarious. Right. Okay. I, I put in, um, it brings it down for the duo and it's a beautiful voices and the delivery is good, but it's not my favourite. I don't get the lyrics, a bit too cryptic. And then I've put um, Gary in three-quarter trousers, mm, Kirk solo, boiler suit, 
Mm. Tim looks pumped up, distraveled, and totally delicious. <laughs> and Gary, Gary B is doing the splits nearly in the full moon backdrop. And then I've put the band looked like a Swiss army knife. What <laughs> the heck was I on that night? Uh, a nice breather for the band to play and slide nicely into the next track. I have no idea what that means, B, but I'll just accept it for what it is. And uh, yeah, well, I think as before we submit the next track, this is uh, a great little three-song section of the album where uh, kudos to Mark Opitz there. We has this innate uh, skill and ability to wean a track as it's finishing into the next one. And this beautifully sort of edits itself into uh, into the next track, which is Freedom Deep. So take it away with Freedom Deep, B. Show me the way. Give away the took a lot of flack didn't it and press when it first came out and I read a lot of reviews recently that um, a lot of it excess fans had actually put it to the side and didn't actually listen to it welcome was great and people invested in that but when full moon came out I think a lot of um, not a lot but a, a fair few fans would, would have read the, the um, reviews and didn't pick it up but on saying that these fans have now matured it's, it's good to actually read the reviews to say they're actually re-listening to this album now with their ears of today and this album does stack up and this song is absolutely beautiful um when you you, you take a, a second listen to it i think yeah i think i think freedom deep when i first was standing in the record store as i said earlier listening to this side b and then i heard full moon going to freedom deep and then obviously mm. kill the pain we'll talk about in a moment uh the freedom deep one i'm going wow this is epic this has yeah. got a bit of a again this mm. big sort of again <laughs> You could say it sounded a little bit like something off the Joshua Tree meets Peter yeah. Gabriel. It had a bit of a world music theme. And I think back in around this time, you had bands like Deep Forest and Peter Gabriel with world music sort of uh, tones coming out. This had a bit of a world music sort of feel to it. And again, it wasn't this sort of three and a half minute mid-tempo sort of um, ditty. It was a song that really evolved and grew and grew and grew. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had this great percussion element to it and this great chorus. And I think Michael the vocal escalation, the band escalating to the payoff. This song has a payoff in it. A bit like mm. Not Enough Time. It hits that crescendo towards the end of the song and, you know, I need a new way out of here, you know, and mm. the door is open. So it's the same lyrics you hear at the start that's just uh, sung in a very um, a tone from Michael that is in a lower register. But it's the yes. same lyrics at the end of the song that are sung and he takes it to this higher register yeah. and that's that vocal climb that he was yeah. so great at. And it still stacks up.
He said, I, I feel like it's like a dreamlike song, then it's whirling yeah. you around and you feel that. It's very ethereal, that isn't it? You know? Feel. Yeah, you yeah. feel feel light. Yes. And taken. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, this song may, may make an appearance later in the show. I'll just give you a hint. B, uh, track number nine, uh, Kill the Pain. Take it away. I know you're saying some things That you in your dreams Your face, it tells the story Page is stained with tears. You kill the pain you feel. You kill the pain you feel. I love, love, love this song so much. I love the fact that it's all stripped back and it's it's very not raw, but Oh, I don't I can't I can't pinpoint but it's just clean it's beautiful um yeah I think it's restrained yeah do you maybe. know what I mean like if you think of beautiful girl I don't think you'd have this song unless they had beautiful girl come out like most of the excess ballads up until you know kick and x you know quite big and large and even welcome you had you know uh not enough time and, and baby don't cry were quite big and bombastic mm. but beautiful girl was a song of such restraint and i think this one equally is like yeah. michael's not over singing it the band aren't mm. overplaying it yeah it, it just is a very moody very um restrained song that yeah. feel, makes you feel something yeah, it definitely makes you feel something. Michael sounds amazing in this. Um, take the curtains down. The sun is what you found. It's like you've been, well, yeah, you've been in a room full of darkness and your woes, and then you've opened the curtains and you're like, oh, life is continuing out there mm. and it's a beautiful day. Mm, and, and look, unfortunately, gorgeous. I mean, a song like this, when you put the word kill and pain in the three words sort of lyric or, or, or name of the song, Again, it's not a commercial sort of lyric, <laughs> um, but you know this this is a this is up there with their best ballads, I think, because as I said, it's um it's, it sounds like it's deeply personal to Michael. It may be sort of mm. stuff he was going through at the time, um, mm. but I think it, it's just a beautiful sort of a almost coda piece to the first two songs. This little three song area, Full Moon, really sounds you know quite quite uh, beautiful together, yeah. um, albeit you know. Mark had some sequencing thoughts about the album that may have differed to the final outcome, yeah. but it is a sort of almost the end of that little three-part section of side two, B. Mm. And I'd also like to reference the the new album that we um, did a review on, Original Sin, and they did a little bit of a, a take on Kill the Pain. It yeah. was beautiful. Yep. It was re yep. really well done, really well done. Right, let's get into the next one. When you take a look Gotta find a reason Find it out What the funk is about Others take a look Father got your roses down I've got his bones and blood Don't they know that love is around Make the way to the pain. You got no one's pain. No one. Put a rope 
B, Cut Your Roses Down. A uh, bit of a favourite from Gary, I think, uh, from the album here. Killer bass line. I think Gary probably enjoyed playing it. Great little film clip of Michael in the uh, cafe, flicking the yeah. hair around and talking about fascists and things. <laughs> I think this particular song, when it was first came out on the album releases, B, I, I, now this is, again, my, my brain may be failing me, but I believe that there was a misprint on some of the album covers and the song oh. was called Let Your Roses Down. Bacon-ly. Now, I've got a bit of a memory of this and maybe I had a version of this at the time. We will maybe bow to MM and find out if I'm, if just a, a, a senility of me uh, uh, and I'm failing to remember, but I've just got a feeling there was a bit of a misprint on some of the, the album uh, sleeves at the time. Mm-hmm. Funky, brassy, good lyric, good little turn of phrase, and we sort of take it up a notch after Kill the yeah. Pain on this, don't we? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Love it. Yeah, really good. Um, the video... If I don't watch the video, I find it a little bit more upbeat than the video sort of perceives it to be. It sort of calms it down. But, yeah, it's a, it's a fun little video, that. But I find it a kind of sleazy song, really. It's quite good. I like it. There's certain lyrics and enunciations that Michael was very good at, and we've talked about his vocal phrasing ability um, and just sometimes his little snappy soundbite lyrics. But yeah. a line like what he says, and it comes down to this, you mm. know, um, again, it's just that little sort of, turn of phrase that just sums up his lyric skill and, and uh, you know, abilities there. So, you know, when you come to song 10 on an album, sometimes bands are guilty of dropping off the quality. Well, you know, I remember when I was listening to the album going, oh, thank God the song, the album doesn't die away, you know. It's- it just makes you think what's in the vault that we've never heard. Correct, yes. Mm. Song 11B, the penultimate one, take it away, The Messenger. Now you got this used to get this mixed mixed up, didn't you, with another song? Is that right? If we talk back about this before, am I getting I don't know, but the, I mean this was originally I think gonna be called Don't Blame It on the Messenger, but again, like I said earlier, That's it. this yeah. this song got reduced in title Cutting down to down. The Messenger. Mm-hmm. Uh but tell us about your thoughts on this one, B. Oh, I just love it. it's it's great it's just got some lovely little quirky bits it just really captivates you and keeps you it flowing through the video i just love it's so so spoofy it's Um, it's such a send-up of 1970s black exploitation cop movies and the the big mama chasing the band around like it yeah it's 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 humorous at best and uh very it's very funny um yeah it's a great sing-along song as well when you're in the car it just uplifts you again all right uh well song 11 to me on this particular one uh it's got i think i said earlier it's got that real rolling stones guitar thing it's got a real keith richards guitar not riff rip off but just the style of keith there uh which is which is cool the only thing about this song that annoyed me 
was I felt like it just went a bit too long and the chorus, they a bit like Make Your Peace, they just over overhit the chorus. It was one or two choruses too many. Now, that's me being a bit anal, but, again, it was my sort of takeaway at the time. By the end of it, I was sort of, like, exhausted. As a song, I also got a bit exhausted by the end of it, but it's catchy. Yes, it is very catchy. Okay, and are we ready for the last song? Get up and dance. <laughs> Days and numbered, counting out the lost. Faith and spirit walking hand in hand. To me, a wall made a sound. But where does that sound find a place today? Maybe we came to the wrong show. Viking juice uh, in brackets. This is the end of rock and roll, B. Take it away. It certainly isn't the end of rock and roll. It means flip over and play again because you just want more after this song. Yeah. It's um I love the the speed of the music and then his tempo. And I love the backstories again, you know, it make adds to it all. So I think it's a great ending. And um it was a surprise for me, I must admit, because I wasn't expecting something like this when I was listening to the album. What, what is Viking juice be? Do you remember what Viking juice Cocktail. was? Cocktail. A little like liqueur they were drinking at the bar, weren't they? Yes, yeah. yes. I need yeah. to get the recipe. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, a couple of takes on this song. Uh, one could argue, let me be devil's advocate on the negative, one could argue mm. it is a, a little bit pretentious, this song, but Michael was such a, a, a style and uh, creative magnet he was never pretentious. So I guess it was sort of a lyric over a bed of music um, and it was sort of sung sort of, I guess it, you know, it had a feel of Roxy Music meets the Doors, as I said earlier. But I do remember the thing about this song. We all sort of felt around 94, 95, 96, but the band could break up and that sort of song was their epitaph because uh, on 1993 was the last song of the album and that was mm. almost maybe them privately, maybe not going on. Oh, and this is the end of end. Uh, okay. So there was a bit yeah. of a feel of that, okay. but we didn't quite know. But I do remember live, particularly this song being played at uh, Monash University and the noise and the loudness of it all and people jumping and moshing and jumping around and a bloke landing on my head and me hitting him in the head to get him oh, off my head. I do memories. remember this. No, it was great. It was great fun. All right, okay. <laughs> uh, it, was, it, it, was, uh, it was fantastic. It was, you know, young and running around and having a great time at mm. a concert. It was just a real brutal tribal experience, uh, this being I played. I would say that too because I never saw this live, but when I've watched it live on, on the YouTubes, it's mm. like, oh, my God, that looks so so much energy in the crowd. And Kirk was the blue singling on with the guitar and the beer <laughs> and the long hair and the cigarette out of the mouth getting really grungy and into it. Uh, it was very, uh, you know, Kirk grunge-like at the time. But, um, yeah, uh, it's great life, but the, yeah. the, the only one that I've seen anyway. Yeah. Mm. All right, well, that's our sort of take on the 12 songs. Are there any sort of words or thoughts that come into your head about this album that immediately, I don't know, invoke... Uh, 
What comes to mind when you, what's your takeaways of this album 30 years ago? All right, so from the very beginning, it's in your face, it's dirty, it's raw, it's rugged, it's um, it's not fresh, it's just like, this is it, and um, a little bit of anger. Um, and then it, it comes down a little bit in there, and then it goes a bit fun towards the end. And then I like the, uh, I like the play out. I mean, like you say, it might be a little bit... Um, what was the word that you used that Michael was a little bit pretentious? And what's your thoughts, matey? This album to me reminds me of Kick, not sonically at all, but it's 12 songs that are all really divergent and completely different. You know, mm. you could sort of look at Welcome and see themes throughout the album. You could see the swing, certain themes and Shabu Shaba, where th- thematically they were sort of, uh, uh, you know, there's a process and a, and a feel that bedded the songs together. This is 12 individual sort of songs that are the band absolutely um, going in very divergent areas. It's To me, it's one of the most catchiest albums. Like, I don't look at a song here and find any boring songs on the album. Yes. You know, there's not a song on here I go, and that one just, you know, meanders along. Like, I, I, you know, I look at the, the 12 songs here and I go, I can listen to them all and find catchy elements to them all. And mm. I think when I went back and looked at some of the reviews many, many years later, there was a fair intake of respondents on some of the sites out there, and I did a bit of a deep dive a few weeks ago about a lot of people who reappreciated this album. Reappreciation. Mm. As I said a bit earlier, they had a lot of material out between sort of 1990 and 93. You had X in 90, you had Live Baby Live in 91, you had Welcome in 92, and then you had this in 93. You know, from a marketing commerciality point of view, putting four albums out, one live album included in four years, is not always something that fans can keep up with. You know, if you think back to the band, you know, life cycle, put an album out, tour it, three years later, do another one. Sometimes certain time frames, like less is more for them. But the band also were making up for time when they were touring a lot in the 80s where they wanted to put more material out. And we, I think 30 years later, we're glad they have, and they did put a lot of material out within a four-year space. But the breathing time between Welcome and this wasn't high and wasn't a lot of time. So some people just were like, oh, geez, you know, another album. They just didn't take it up at the time. Yeah. And the, the the hit single that could have been The Gift in America that would have translated worldwide and been a global smash didn't occur, albeit the UK and Aussie charts gave it some credence. It just meant that this album was probably lost in the ether a bit for people. But I think it's hugely catchy. It's hugely interesting. It's aggressive. It's angry. There's a lot of subtext to the lyrics we don't even know about, you know, at the time. Um, I think the band may have dismissed it a little bit because of the, the period of Michael and everything there. But if you want to go back and you haven't listened to this album a lot, it's to rediscover a band at a very interesting creative time. This and Welcome, I think, are two albums that a lot of listeners out there who have been on our journey could do yourself a favour favor and go back and listen to with fresh ears. Forget it's in excess. Just listen to the songs with fresh ears and give them a chance because I think you'll actually be rewarded. Totally agree. People do need to go back with fresh ears on this one and revisit it. Um, I will put my hand up and be that person too. I don't listen to this album enough. I listen to some of the songs, but not the whole album as in entirety. And um, yeah, it's it is a great album, as is all of In Excess's albums. I feel that are quite good, but um, yeah. it's still not one of my complete favorites. Yeah. But this week. Give it a go. There's two parts to being a listener of music. You were there at the time when it came out and you have a a personal experience of the material and the songs. Fortunately for myself, I have that experience at the time. 
But equally, when I go back and listen to something like Prince's Sign of the Times, well, outside the four major singles, I didn't really know much about that double album. In the last five, six, seven years, I've gone back and listened to that whole album and found four or five fantastic songs on that double album. And I'm listening to it as a more mature listener now and appreciating it, you know, posthumously, so to speak, not because he's passed away, but posthumously in the sense that that album came and went and I wasn't around and now I listen to it 30 years later. I think for a lot of people on our podcast journey and things who who gravitate to, you know, uh, Listen Like Thieves, you know, Kick and X, this is an album where, you know, forget it's in excess, go put it in your iPod, go listen to the 12 songs, do the cleaning, drive to work, listen to a song or two per day, re-listen to that song. You might find there's a, a reconnection with some of the material. Gee, I didn't realise what a great song Cut Your Roses was or, hey, I didn't realise the, the days of Russ, what that lyric meant. Now I can yeah. really invest in it. You can go back and rediscover this band if you've been what I would say a 6 out of 10 in excess fan. This is the seven, eight, nine. This is a little extra notch or two where you go back and go, wow, they really had depth of material. Gee, they really weren't just a singles band. Gee, it just wasn't about Thieves, Kick and X. You know, they really had a lot more going. Gee, you know, this album at the time, you know, as you said earlier, oh, I was into the indie scene and this, this and this, and I was worried about, you know, this band and that one. Well, you know, you get a chance to listen to great music 29 years later and maybe find a nugget or two that becomes part of your podcast series. Aren't we lucky? Aren't we lucky to have so many albums and so many songs that we can just go revisit in a time in, you know, human life where things are recorded and we can re-listen. It's amazing. I love it. I love the fact that we've got all the footage, we've got all these videos and... We've got them forever. You don't have to get off your, your butt and turn the uh, the vinyl over or the tape yeah. over. You can you can have all these things at the, at the drop of a hat, you know, and as I said, you can download this onto your devices, et cetera, there and, and have your iPods or your own streaming sort of ways of uh, through Spotify, you know, downloading content and things. But, uh, yeah, you won't see many of these songs on their greatest hits albums and different things like that, even though there's a lot of worthy material there. If you go back and we, you know, we'll probably eventually design our greatest sort of, you know, triple album, best of, our own very best of or whatever, um, and there'll be songs on this definitely have a higher share. But I think just overall, I'm so excited to get Mark Opitz view maybe next week where he will just share with us, you know, the experiences there, a bit more anecdotes around the songs. He may have more memories on the lyrics that he can sort of share with us. Mm. Yeah. So we're going to save our Spotify list for next week when we speak to Mr. I think Opitz. so, yes. I You've think heard... so too. Yes, absolutely. Um, but that's Full Moon Dirty Hearts, B and Hayden style. And this is Manny from the UK. This is Lisa Mack from Brisbane, Australia. And this is Felicia from Everett, Washington, USA. And that's a wrap. All right, B, well, that was a bit of a wrap there. Great talking music, isn't it? Like sometimes our topics in excess are about discussion pieces and things like that, but it's great talking about songs. Love it, love yeah. it, love talking. Well, I like hearing you talk about it too. Yep. You have such insight. Oh, I can't well. believe that was 102. I know. And yes. we are, I guess, talking all things music. We have an auction, as you would say, in Birmingham. Uh, <laughs> or as we say here in Australia, auction, an auction. But uh, we have, I guess, the lovely decadence that we're going to be uh, auctioning off that was kindly donated by uh, Darren Jones. Uh, but do you want to just, uh, for the listeners, explain what happens with this auction? 
Okay, so this auction is a vinyl of Decadence. And did he say there's only 250 out there? So this is very, very rare. And this one is in complete mint condition. We are going to be putting a certain price on the limit of it because it is so rare. And it's going to be really hard for me to let this go and post it to you. Yeah, we we I might uh, have to kiss it before it goes. <laughs> we're gonna have a reserve minimum limit on this, aren't we? Yeah, now I don't, we yeah. haven't quite worked what that actually out is at the time of recording, yeah. but yeah. we just think yeah, there's 250 copies of this. It's 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 so rare and unique, and uh, we don't even want to sign it. We want it in mint condition, no. looking beautifully, as Darren said, yes. just for, for, yeah. for any collective. That was there. a discussion, wasn't it? That was a yeah. discussion with the band and with Darren, yeah. and we all collectively said we're going to keep it pristine. We're not pure. going to yep. mark it and yep. pure. Put, Please put your hands in your pockets for this because it really, uh, our funds are diminishing and we need some help. So yep. thank you. So the auction will go up on Sunday, which yep. hopefully is the same day as this show. And yep. it is Easter Sunday. Happy Easter to everybody. And I hope you're having a lovely chocolatey time. Um, so it will go up on eBay and I will share it onto the website and it will go onto our um, uh, socials as well. Yep. So yeah, just... Um, uh, probably put it on for about 10 days yep. so you've got some time there to come back to watch this space or listen to this space yeah mm-hmm. this is the only item i think so far b that i'm completely jealous that will be released yeah. from oh, us to the public which so i really bad. wanted a copy i never got one i've got the little tape you know yeah. cards version but i don't have the album version mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. All right, B, fan engagement. Before you get started, I just want to give a quick shout out to Foxy. Uh, she's reappeared oh, from uh, yes. from Hibernation. I saw her name and details out there. Say hello, Foxy. Nice to hear from you again. I know you've been busy and things, but yes. uh, over to you, B, for the rest of fan engagement. Well, thank you for mentioning Foxy. Hello and welcome back, my darling. Now, Foxy is going to help us with fan engagement. Um, so we have actually got a little page on the website that we haven't really been putting too much energy in. Oh. And she wants to know if you would if you will want to go into that um because we actually got a messenger that we with us and the patrons all talk on so if you're a patron let us know which way that you feel best to engage um, and easiest really and fox is going to be doing a lot more of that but anyway I want to give a big shout out to Monica Christopher Jacqueline Nathalie Margie Louise, Dora and Tracy, thank you for all your lovely comments on our Facebook page this week. Yeah, and thank you to everybody who sent, you know, uh, condolences to Chris Bailey on our Messenger sort of uh, posts about his passing and uh, and just the general interaction. I think the Messenger may be the way to go for people and things like that because it's mobile, it's phone, it's quick, it's easy, but we'll let them decide. Um, I guess in relation to Chris Bailey B, we're going to go out with a tribute song today and I, and I thought, you know, how can we sort of tie and do justice to Chris and also do justice to Full Moon? And I thought, well, why don't we go out with Freedom Deep because... To me, it feels like the spirit of somebody leaving the earth and sort of almost climbing, going up to the sky, and it has a sort of a, a quite an emotional sort of tone to it. And I, I think that um, uh, you know this song seems to be sort of something really appropriate to acknowledge, uh, you know, Chris and you know freedom and and going up to the big uh, gig in the sky with joining Michael there, and that's only too trite and twee. You know, I thought this would be a, a lovely sort of exit song to go out with. Perfect. It sort of uh, really sort of emotionally sums up the whole experience, doesn't it, Be? 
yes, it's an emotional experience and it's one that we both have, have, have said that we really like. Yes. And like you say, there's a lot of different songs on this um, album yep. and this one is a standout. All right. But it's goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from B. Bye. Freedom, take me deeper. Freedom, take me Thank you.
Love you all. Take care. See you next week.